passages in your bulletin from Romans 7 verses 1 to 6. Pastor Chris will be talking about how the law fits into that big story we've been hearing about, and uh, this text orientates us in that direction. Romans 7 verse 1, read with me. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, these are big things that we're about to hear. These are big things that we have just read about. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. I thank you, Lord, for the truths that we've sung over and over again this morning. We are here, Lord, because of the accomplishment of your son, Jesus Christ. We are here, Lord, because of his life and his death and his resurrection. And we are here, Lord, because all of history is about Jesus. So, Lord, as we now consider that the law is about Jesus and what it means for us today, I pray, God, you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to lean in, to, to think clearly, to understand what your word has said. Holy Spirit, empower this experience now. I pray your word would cut through any misunderstanding we may have, cut to our hearts, and I pray that we would go out from here, Lord, with renewed thankfulness, renewed love for you, renewed passion to live for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. We are talking about the big picture of the Bible, the big story, and how it all fits together. And this morning, as we continue through the series, we're talking about the law. Most people know that there's laws in the Bible. 
most people in Canada, at least up till recently, are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Less of us are able to recite all ten from memory than we could a generation or two ago, but we know that there's this thing called the law in the Bible. And let's face it, for many Christians, the law is, is a quite a perplexing thing. Right? Just the word law itself, right? You just say law. Doesn't it kind of feel negative, maybe at least heavy? If you've ever tried to read through the Bible from cover to cover, chances are the law was difficult going. Maybe you got bogged down and, and even stopped because of Leviticus or Numbers. That happens to many people, by the way, and they never try again. And if that's you, I'd love to help you figure out how you can read through the Bible from cover to cover. So I'd love to talk to you about that. So there's these kind of things that are difficult to understand. But on top of this, many Christians struggle with, with how the law applies to our lives today. That's where a lot of these, these wrestling moments come from. We, we know some things about the law, like we know we're not supposed to sacrifice animals anymore. At least I hope you know that. We know that we don't need to go worship at the temple. But what about, what about some of those other laws, right? Are Christians allowed to work on Sunday? Does God expect us to tithe? What is our relationship with the Old Testament law, especially when it comes down to some of these nitty-gritty questions? And these are the kinds of questions that we're going to be digging into today and next Sunday. Really, this is, this is two weeks that we're going to be talking about the law, our relationship with the law, and how is it that we as New Covenant Christians are supposed to pursue holiness? And so without much further ado, we're going to dive right in to talking about the law. One of the things we want to clarify up front, that when we use the phrase the law, we're talking about the law of Moses. We need to be very clear there. That was the law that God gave to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai after he brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and brought them to his, himself. And this wasn't the first time that God had given instruction to his people. In fact, if you look back in, in each of the covenants that God had made with his people, you remember the storyline of the Bible is based on these, the series of covenants. And in each of these covenants, God had given instruction to his people. God had given instruction to Adam and Eve, right? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, don't eat from that tree. That was their, that was their instruction. God gave further instruction to Noah. And there were, we'll come back to some of that a little bit later. But all of that pales in comparison to the chapters and chapters and chapters of instruction and commands and regulations that God gave to Israel. And so it's not surprising that, that when we use the word the law, that's generally what we're talking about. And, and, and not surprisingly, when the Bible uses the phrase the law, so if you read through the Old and the New Testaments, when you hear that word or that phrase, the law, almost always it's speaking about the law of Moses. That's where it focuses. So a couple words here at the, at, the, at the beginning. And some of this is review from back in the fall, when we talked about the covenant with Israel back in the fall. What we should recognize is that the commands and the regulations of the law of Moses were part of a covenant that God made with Israel. So in other words, the law didn't just fall from the sky one day. Moses didn't trip on it and bring it to his people. It was a part of the covenant. And, and we should remember that God made that covenant with Israel and he gave them that law 
after he'd rescued them from Egypt. So this is really important, right? Moses met God the first time on Mount Sinai in the burning bush. God did not give him the law then. God did not send Moses to Egypt saying, guys, God's going to deliver us from Egypt, but first I've got these 10 commandments that you've got to start living. And if you do that for long enough, then he will save us. It's not what happened. God saved his people by grace, brought them out of Egypt, brought them to himself at Mount Sinai, entered into a covenant with them, and in that covenant gave them regulations, instructions, law. So the law was never a way to earn God's grace. That's really important. The law was not about that. The law was how Israel responded to God's grace. And the law did that by showing Israel how they, in their particular setting in history, in their particular place in the story, how they could best love God and love each other. So again, you'll remember we talked about that back in the fall. The law showed them how to love God and love each other in the best way possible in their spot in history and at their spot in the story. And the law was a part of that covenant, the covenant with Israel that God made through Moses. So that's our first point. The law was a part of that covenant. Second point this morning we want to make is that the law of Moses was actually all about Jesus all along. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. You remember the very first week of this this series, September, September the 9th, I still remember. And we read these words from Jesus from Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written in the law of Moses, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name in all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So according to Jesus himself, the law was about him. This shouldn't surprise us. We've said how many times in this series that, that Jesus is the main character of the Bible, and that includes the first five books. Jesus is the main character the law of Moses. It's about Jesus. So how? How how does that work? How is the law about Jesus? Well, two two reasons or two ways we're going to consider. And there's there's more we could say, but we're just going to consider two. First, the law points to Jesus as it shows us our sin. The history of Israel bears this out. They couldn't keep the law even with all of the threats and the promises that God gave them, nobody was able to perfectly keep the law. And so what did the law do? The law showed them how sinful they were. And according to the New Testament, that was actually the point, or at least a big part of the point. God gave us the law to highlight our sin and to show us how sinful we are. Romans 3.20 tells us, for by, the works, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 7.7, 7, which is just one verse after what's in your bulletin, it tells us how this works. How does the law show us sin? 
Here's what it says. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Do you hear that? I wouldn't have known sin apart from the law. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Did you hear that? If the law didn't tell us not to covet, we wouldn't know what coveting is. And, and Paul goes on to develop that idea in more detail in, in Romans chapter 7. So the law shows us what sin actually is. If it wasn't for the law, we wouldn't know what sin is and how, how much of sinners we actually were. And so that's why in, in, in our call to worship passage from 2 Corinthians and, and elsewhere in the chapter, Paul calls the law or the giving of the law, he calls it the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. That's what, that's what he says. As Moses was coming down the mountain with the tablets of the law, he was serving a ministry of death because the law simply and only showed people that they couldn't keep it and it condemned them to death. So if you want to know how much you need Jesus to save you, read the Ten Commandments. It's actually a great way to help someone else know how they need Jesus to save them. Walk them through the Ten Commandments. You ever done that? You ever done that? You ever taken something that didn't belong to you? You ever told something that's not true, called a lie? And Jesus shows us, of course, how we really should understand those. You ever hated someone? It's murder. We're guilty. The law shows us our sin, and therefore the law shows us how much we need a Savior. We wouldn't know how much we needed Jesus if it wasn't for the law. So that's one way that the law points to Jesus. There's a second way that the law prepares us for Christ by showing us what kind of a savior we actually need, right? So the law shows us we need a savior. And second, the law shows us what kind of a savior we're going to get, what kind of a savior we need. That's amen. The whole system, and what, what I'm thinking here is that the whole system of priests and, and animal sacrifices, temple worship, all of that was put in place to teach us about what kind of a savior Jesus would be, right? Because the law shows us, you're a sinner, and here's how sin gets dealt with, through sacrifice. Here's how sin gets forgiven. And all of that was just preparing us for Christ. We know from the book of Hebrews that the, the, the blood of bulls and goats never actually took away sin. It was, it was just setting the stage so that when Jesus of Nazareth walked up that one day to the Jordan River, John the Baptist could say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we know what he means. We know how lambs take away sin. They die in our place. And that's the whole purpose of that whole system was to set the stage for Jesus and help us recognize Jesus when he came. Here's how the book of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 10.1. It says, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The law has but a shadow, not the real thing. Have you ever been in a room and there's light shining from outside the room and someone 
walks into the room and, and you can see their shadow before you actually see them. When me and my boys are playing hide and go seek, this gets us sometimes. I think I've got a great hiding spot and I realize, no, there's a light behind me and they can see my shadow even though they can't actually see me. That's what the law is like. The law is the shadow of Jesus before he actually gets there. The law is the shadow of Christ being cast upon the wall and we see the rough outline of our Savior before he actually walks into the room. The law was given to prepare us for Jesus. So these are just two, two ways, and we could look at more of how the law does this. But Paul summed up this idea for us in a really important passage, Galatians chapter 3. And I know we're going to be bouncing around the New Testament a bunch today. Could write some of these down to look them up later. But Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, he says this. Now, before faith came, in other words, before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, listen to these words, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Guardian, the law was our guardian. That's a really, really cool word. It's, it's, it's a word that's used three times in the New Testament. It comes from a Greek word that can also be translated schoolmaster or instructor or tutor. And here's where the word comes from. It actually, this was a, this was a job title. In, in, in Greek and Roman culture, the bigger, uh, higher class, richer families would, when they had children, they would take one of, one of the slaves in the house, one of the slaves that they could trust, high-ranking, trustworthy slave, and they would make him the guardian, or this, this word, or the instructor, or the tutor of, of the children, especially the boys. And his job was to watch over the boys, supervising, teaching them, training them how to live. And they weren't even allowed to leave the house without him. He was literally breathing down their neck helping them learn so that they are prepared for maturity. And that's what the law was. The law is our guardian, our schoolmaster, our tutor. The law breathed down Israel's neck all those centuries between Moses and Jesus, tutoring them, training them to recognize their sin and to recognize their Savior. The law is a guardian preparing us for the coming of Jesus. So these are all different pictures, right? Shadows, guardian. And then Jesus came. Then he walked into the room. And Jesus came and fulfilled the law. When Jesus came, he did everything the law said he would do. And he was everything the law said he would be. He fulfilled the law. Jesus told us this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That word abolish, it's a word that's often used to talk about tearing down a building, like demolishing something as if it doesn't matter. And Jesus said, no, I haven't come to do that to the law. Instead, I've come to fulfill it by doing everything that it promised. 
So in other words, Jesus didn't come to shred the check. Jesus came to cash the check and to be everything that it promised he would be. And Jesus did this in so many ways. Some, many of them we've seen already in our series is Jesus fulfilled all of these promises that God gave to his people. We know in, in, in his life, Jesus kept the law perfectly. You read through the gospels, it's so clear. Jesus did not disobey the law once. And beyond this, Jesus fulfilled all of the types and the shadows of the law. Jesus is the temple that the law spoke of. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is the one who makes his people holy. And we could go on and on. And Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Just like we've sung about so many times this morning. And when Jesus died on Calvary, we know that the curse of the law for the sins of his people came to rest on him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's Galatians 3.13. So when Jesus walked out of his grave that Sunday morning, he walked out having perfectly satisfied the law in every possible way. So we come now to one of the most important points that we can make today. Okay? The law was a part of the covenant. The law pointed to Jesus, number two. Number three, Jesus fulfilled the law. And now number four, we are no longer under the law. As members of the new covenant, we've been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are no longer under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was a part of the old covenant, which Jesus fulfilled. We are no longer a part of that covenant. We are a part of the new covenant. We do not live under the law of Moses. And the New Testament confirms this point for us over and over and over again in no uncertain terms. Galatians 3, 23 to 26. I read a little bit of it before. Let me read the whole thing. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We've reached full maturity in Christ. And the guardian is no longer necessary. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10.4 Do you hear that? Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. Ephesians 2, 14 to 15. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. One last scripture. This is several verses, but it's so important. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Listen to these words, so precious. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do you hear what he's saying there? What is questions of food, drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. Those are all things in the law that Israel was commanded to do. And Paul says, don't let people pass judgment on you for those things anymore. In other words, they don't apply to you anymore. Don't be judged by that standard. Those things, the Sabbaths, the food laws, were a shadow. And the real thing is here now, Jesus. And so the shadows don't apply. One of the clearest statements, and the final one we'll consider, is the one that we read together earlier from Romans chapter 7. If you turn to Romans 7 or look at it there in your bulletin, you'll see that, that the first three verses, Paul makes a comparison to marriage. Maybe that seemed kind of strange to you as we read this out loud, but Paul's writing to his, his Jewish brothers in this passage, and, and they understood this marriage law and the Jewish law, which is that... You're bound to the covenant of marriage as long as you're alive. And if you die, then you're not bound to that covenant anymore. Paul says the same thing has happened to us with the law. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another When Jesus died, because we are in Christ, you remember that idea? It's as if we died with him. He died for us. He died our death. And so legally, before the law, it's as if we've already died. We've died to the old covenant law. And therefore, we're released from it. Verse 6 tells us this, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Have you ever heard those stories of guys who fake their own death? So they have an identity and they, they, they fake that that person has died and then they start over again as a new person with a new identity. So if there was criminal charges against them, well, they don't apply anymore because that person died. I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new person. Paul's saying the same thing has happened to us through the death of Christ. The law applied to that old person, but they died with Christ. And now we've been raised and we have been set free from the law. Now there's a question that you might be asking at this point. So if I'm free from the law, does that mean I can do whatever I want? Please don't lie to yourself. You've probably thought about that question, if not this morning, at some point in your life. If I'm free from the Old Testament law, then I can do whatever I want, right? 
Don't feel bad if you've wondered that question. In fact, it's actually a good thing to ask that question. It shows that you're following. The Apostle Paul asked that question. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. He says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Therefore, I can do whatever I want, right? Not right, which is to say wrong. Paul says his answer, Romans 6, 15, by no means, literally, may it never be. We've been freed from the law, but we have not been freed to sin. We've been freed so that we can serve God in righteousness. Just like Romans 7, 6 tells us, which we read, we've been set free so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So how does that work? How does it work that I've been set free from the law? I am not bound by the law of Moses anymore, but I'm still expected to live righteously and to honor God. How does, how does that work? That's the question that we get to answer for these next two weeks. Well, the, the rest of today and going into next week. How does it work that we fulfill God's righteousness apart from the law? That's where we get to go together. I'm going to admit here, this is a really tough set of ideas to wrap your heads around. You're going to need to lean in here, even the rest of this morning here. You're going to have to lean in and really listen and really think. These are difficult things to wrap our heads around, which is why many Christians have a really hard time with it. And you know the way that many Christians deal with this, including, including me for a lot of years? I, I couldn't figure out, okay, so I'm not under the law, but God still expects me to be righteous. And so the way we reconcile that is that we put ourselves back under the law, or at least part of it. So maybe you've heard this before. You've maybe heard someone say, and I've, I've taught this kind of thing before, is that there's three parts to the law. There's the ceremonial law, which dealt with like the temple and stuff. There's the civil law, which dealt with like giving people the death sentence and their legal system. And then there's the moral law, which talks about like not lying and stealing and cheating. Like the Ten Commandments. And what people have said is that, well, Jesus only freed us from those two first parts. Jesus only freed us from the ceremonial law and the civil law, right? So we don't offer animal sacrifices and we don't hand out the death penalty here at EBC. Sorry to disappoint anyone. But we are, Jesus didn't free us from the moral law. We're still bound by, the, by, that, by, by all of those laws that talk about not stealing and cheating and murdering and stuff like that. Please understand, that's not biblical. In recent years, many scholars have been really studying this and looking at it, and it's like, no, it, there's only one law. It's all together. You can't pull it apart. There's only one law, and we're not under any of it. I'm going to say something controversial. That includes the Ten Commandments. You might disagree with me, and that's okay, but I want you to think this through. Christians are not under 
the Ten Commandments. And yet, as we read through the New Testament, isn't it pretty clear that we're not supposed to murder and steal and commit adultery and things like that? And doesn't Paul himself even quote from the Old Testament to make his point sometimes? So what's going on here? So here's where you have to follow me closely. I'm going to do my best to explain this. And if this doesn't make sense to you, please come talk to me afterwards because this is so important. Here's how we reconcile this. God is a righteous God. He's, he's holy and righteous in his character. And certain things are, go against his nature and his character. Lying, murdering, stealing, committing adultery, all of those things are against the righteousness of God. And God doesn't change. He's always the same. And so think of something like murder. Murder goes against the righteousness of God. Murder is always wrong. Murder was wrong before the Ten Commandments. Murder was wrong before the law of Moses. God held Cain accountable, right? When Cain killed Abel, that was wrong. There was no Ten Commandments around, and that was wrong because it goes against the righteousness of God. So before the law, some things were wrong because of who God is. And then we know when God made a covenant with Noah, he told him, no murder. They didn't make it wrong, it just helped them understand it some more. And then in the covenant with Israel, he said a lot, there's a lot of regulations about murder and manslaughter and how to tell the difference between the two. But those laws, please, please listen carefully, those laws were simply an expression of the unchanging righteousness of God. Those laws applied the character of God to the nation of Israel at their specific spot in the story. And so for you and I today, we're not under that covenant. We're not under that law. But God's righteousness is still the same. And the things that were wrong before the law of Moses are wrong after the law of Moses. And so many things in the law of Moses are pointing to this unchanging righteousness of God. Laws that commanded Israel, again, like we think of most of the Ten Commandments. And those laws are still relevant and important to us today not because we are under them, but because they point us to the unchanging righteousness of God that has not changed. And so how do we know? How do we know what parts of the law point to this unchanging righteousness of God? Well, we read the New Testament. That's why we have the book of Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. The New Testament helps us understand how should we live today? How do we fulfill God's righteousness today? And with all that being said, we should acknowledge that there are other parts of the law, that they were unique to Israel at their specific spot in the story. And so for some examples, we think of that verse in Colossians chapter 2 that we read, 
that mentioned food and drink or festivals, new wines, new, or sorry, new moon or Sabbath. Those were just shadows of the things to come. Those weren't things that God commanded his people before the law of Moses, right? Like when God gave Noah permission to eat meat, he said, you can eat anything you want. Then when he came to Israel, because of their specific mission, he gave them all of those food laws. You can eat this and not this and this and not this. And now that Christ has come, those food laws don't apply to us. The Sabbath, like Paul mentions here, is not a law for us. All of those things were not part of the timeless righteousness of God but rather they were shadowy portrayals of Jesus. And now that Jesus has come, those shadows aren't needed anymore. Now with that being said, we can still learn a lot from the law on those things. So for example, I believe, and I think Colossians chapter two is very clear, the Sabbath is not a law for us. However, most of us understand it's a really good idea to take a day off once in a week. And so we can still learn from the law on that, on that matter and, and understand that God was caring for his people and it's still a really good idea. There's still a lot to learn from the law even if we are not under it. Here's another example. Tithing, giving 10%. In the Old Covenant, that was a law. They had to bring 10% of their income and their crops to the priests and the Levites. We're not under that law. The New Testament nowhere tells us to tithe. Instead, the New Testament tells us things like this. How much should we give? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I got a big problem with how some people tell Christians they must tithe, because that goes against what this passage in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, we're not to give under compulsion. We're to give what we've decided in our heart However, many Christians, myself included, say if the Old Covenant people gave 10%, why would I give less than that? And we find that 10% makes a pretty good starting place to discipline ourselves to give. But that's very different from saying it's a law we must follow. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? We learn from it. And it's very valuable for us. But it is not a law. We have been set free from the law, including the law to tithe. But that doesn't mean we don't give. In fact, it should mean we give more. So I hope you're seeing a pattern emerge here. And we're going we're gonna to have to press pause very soon and pick on the, the rest of this next week. But here's the pattern that I hope you're seeing as we've talked about the Sabbath rest, as we've talked about tithing. We're not under the law, but 
the law is still very valuable in instructing us and showing us how Israel was to live. And there's so much for us to learn about ourselves. There's so much for us to learn in the law about Jesus. There's so much for us here and now today. So please don't hear me saying this morning that the law is irrelevant. You can just ignore it. Just ignore the first five books of your Bible. They don't apply. That's not what I'm saying at all. And just let me share just personally here. These pa- this past year, well, 2018, I spent a lot of time in the first five books of the Bible. So I took a seminary class on, on, on the Pentateuch, on, which is the first five books of the Bible, most, which most of it's the Law of Moses. So I had to read hundreds of pages and write dozens of my own on these first five books of the Bible. And it was amazing. And then beyond that, in my personal devotional time, I'm working through the Bible in a chronological way and I'm using the ESV study Bible notes and I'm going really slow to just try to understand as much as I can. And so I spent months in my personal devotions in the mornings going through the first five books of the Bible with these study notes and I learned so much. It was amazing. And so maybe you, for example, maybe you can't take the seminary class, but you could pick up an ESV study Bible for yourself at the NBC bookshop or off of Amazon and, and use those notes to, to, to help you as you read through the law of Moses. And I guarantee you, it's going to make way more sense than, than just trying to figure it out on your own. That's what I found, at least. You're going to learn so much, and you're going to see so much of Jesus, right? Because the law is about Jesus, and it can still help us see Jesus. So, isn't it kind of funny? This is a sermon that tells you you're not under the law. And one of my big points of application here is you need to read the law and understand it some more. Dig in, get some study tools and understand it because it's amazing. And there's so much for us to learn. So that's the first point of application this morning. And the second one is that we just need to rejoice and praise God. And we're not under the law. Trust me, just read through the book of Galatians. We don't want to be under the law. The law kills. The law brings death. We should praise God that he has set us free for freedom in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christians throughout every generation have always been tempted to go back to the law because it's safe. We get how it works. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And instead, God summons us to a new way that we're going to learn about next week. But the temptation to be sucked back to the law has been there. And we need to stand firm in our freedom that Christ has bought for us. So now we need to pause, right? This is to be continued. We're picking up next week. I got one more application. So this is three. One more application point for you this morning as we think ahead to next week. Of what does it look like for us to serve in the new way of the Spirit? There's two key scriptures we're going to be looking at next week. They're up on the screen right now. Write them down and read them this week. Read them five times each if you want. And these scriptures are going to help prepare you for digging into them together next week. And maybe you're going to get it so well that you could come up and preach the sermon next week. I'm not going to ask you to do that, but read these scriptures and dig in. 
And now I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to end by celebrating Jesus, our high priest, the sacrifice who fulfilled the law, has paid for our sin, and died to set us free, and lives today, and in him we are free. Let's pray. Jesus, you have set us free from the law. Thank you. I pray you'd help us to stand firm in our freedom and to delight in and to love our freedom and that we would not use our freedom as an opportunity for sin, but that in our freedom, God, we would serve you all the more, that our freedom from tithing would make us generous, that our freedom from the commands would make us righteous. God, fulfill your righteousness in us today. And Lord, help us as we leave here. Help us to be thankful for what you did. And I pray this week, Lord, you would help us in our lives to apply this truth to, to, to the actual decisions that we're going to make. And that we would delight in our freedom for righteousness that you've given us through Christ.